I Love That For You, the podcast celebrating the late bloomers and trailblazers of all walks of life. I'm Red. And I'm Kelly. And Kelly, we're in spooky season. My God, how basic white bitch am I right now? It's like no. the Super Bowl for all of us BWBs. Bull- oh, bullshit. It's bitch witch season, okay? Bitch like, you can season. be I like that. whatever you want to be. You don't have to be a white girl to be enjoying this spooky time of year. So that's fair because Sean's obsessed. So I, I guess he's the basic bitch here, not me. <laughs> but I am equally now as into it as he is. So, I know. And yeah. so we're two episodes into the month and we're yes. so excited because yes. I'm excited to share this person no with you. No yeah, idea. But at all. To kick things off, Kelly. Yes. Speaking of spooky season in October, we're gonna focus this episode a little bit on horror movies. Oh boy. Are you a oh fan? Oh boy. So when I first got with Sean, I learned about his obsession with all things October and horror, mm-hmm. and he like subscribes to like this niche magazine Fangoria. I'm not sure if you or the listeners have heard of it. That's for like true diehards. When I first got with him, I watched like a list of 31 movies for all of October of like all the horror movies. Um, just Ooh. to get like, you know, to show my commitment to his thing. And I went through it. I went through all of them. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I've grown to love them. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't my first choice, but you know, it's, it's good for this time of year. If that's the case, though, so what are some of your favorites? Well, I'd say the best one of all time is Night of the Living Dead. The one from oh, 1968. Oh, so you're a zombie girl. Okay. Zombie girl. <laughs> like that's the OG. Very progressive because we had a black man in the lead role back then. But it's very... um. Walking Dead. If you haven't seen this movie, you need to see it. But it is just the perfect movie. It can do no wrong. I think it was I mean, the first one that dealt with. I was the about thing. to say. I'm pretty yeah. sure that was the one that kind of helped. I was about to say it walks so zombies could run, but zombies were yeah. running in that one, if I remember yeah. right, or is that yes. later? <laughs> it's been a minute. I need to watch it again, but I think they were. I think that well, they were crawling, right? Well, because okay, there's the different speeds. You've got the slow zombies where they do yeah. more of like the stumble, or if they're like not having legs. They're, they're doing the crawl or yep. you've got the sprinters who are just like yeah. <laughs> fully like yeah. 28 days later holy crap like that kind yep. of just running at you and they're all adrenaline and just hundred <laughs> percent so what's I, your preference of them well i'm a runner so i, oh, I appreciate so a you like a challenge who can run i like a challenge i like to put myself to the test but no, i don't thanks. think i want to be in that situation <laughs> to find out <laughs> right i mean yeah dear god let's hope that never comes to it uh, um, what else comes to mind is of course, Halloween. Every October, Sean hosts this Halloween run in South Pasadena where we go to the house. You know, oh, from Halloween the movie. From Halloween the movie, Jamie oh. Lee Curtis. And we run around to different spots in South Pasadena. Like there's this famous bush hedges scene that we go to. There's like this scene that takes place on like a stoop of a house that we go to. And that house is actually up for sale. And I'm like, Sean, should we move there for $2 million? <laughs> and we dress up and like we run around. Uh, and we like have like candy and stuff but um, oh that God. one has a special place in my heart and then of course you know you gotta love your nightmare on Elm Streets but Friday the 13th we actually went um, a bunch of us over the pandemic to Camp Crystal Lake and Ooh. you know got our spooky <laughs> on right so those places have a special place in my heart but those if are it all wasn't the, you know, for the running I'd be totally down <laughs> yeah but those are all the basic bitch ones like you know get out You can. it's a psychological thriller but that in most recent history you know well 
Well, I think there's a lot of debate. I feel like horror can be different genres. Oh, there's this one podcast that I listen to. It's called The Horror Virgin. Highly recommend if anyone is looking for something. It's definitely for people who are super into it. I actually used to work at Flappers with one of the host page and some of them are more experienced and they like horror and then you've got Todd who's so scared when it comes to horror things but there's three people in it and actually hey Mikey if you're listening you're single I mean I heard you're still single <laughs> and I'm still single and I have been told I have very very nice teeth so is that um, a thing it's Mikey, a thing <laughs> if you're into nice teeth I mean hey that's a, I have a very nice smile I've you been do. told no I'm saying every part of you is amazing but the oh, teeth huh I'm just saying you. Brad you're well, a pinup for a reason <laughs> I know it's about the teeth uh as Mikey knows so Mikey <laughs> Shoot uh, that shot. yeah pew pew. <laughs> pew, pew, pew pew come on Mikey hit her up <laughs> but anyways but they do a really good job of going over different types of films Paige in particular was saying how Terminator is a horror movie Oh, oh. And I totally understand that because think about the typical slasher where you've got someone chasing after you. They're killing off people in pursuit of someone. Body horror in it. Science fiction, but I guess. Yeah. Because that's the thing. I think you can be both sci-fi and horror and action. I think you can be a bunch of things when it comes to films. We're multifaceted and so are our movies. You're right, Red. Exactly. So it's funny, too, because I actually was such a chicken with horror movies oh, yeah. for a very long time. Oh, I hyperventilated during The Ring. Well, um. I mean, to be fair, that I was going to bring that one up. What is, yeah. uh, what, did you like leave the, the theater? No. So I was at a slumber party. And oh. um, the thing was, and this is not this person's fault. They did their best. But I told them, I don't like gross stuff. And I don't like things that pop out at you. Like anytime there's like a jump scare, I, nope. So you do not do well in haunted houses, is what you're saying. No. Um, <laughs> although I tend to mystery science theater it and just ah. make jokes the whole time because Maybe I'm so well. scared. It's a coping mechanism. Um, But what happened was I had this friend who was like, ooh, if you know, you know, the girl in the closet, that jump scare. So she was like, ooh, there is this one. I will give you a warning. And I was like, great. I'm like tense watching it. And then she went, okay, don't look now. But I'm at a slumber party with a bunch of girls. So what I heard over people talking was, okay, look now. So I completely relaxed and started like watching and then it happened and I screamed and I emptied my lungs and I couldn't catch my breath. I literally had like the bag over my my mouth like trying (laughs) to... I thought you were going to say you emptied your bladder, so I'm glad at least no, it was No, no, no. I mean, bladder. it wasn't that bad, but like, yeah, I struggled Damn. to breathe for a little bit. Oh, bad. Yeah. Well, no, and it's fine. But what's interesting now is that I have such a huge appreciation for horror films because a lot of times horror films actually have some of the best sense of humor. Yes. Oh, absolutely. They have that They're campy. Tongue-in-cheek, you know, campy. They also can make commentaries about like society or about different issues Parasite. or things like that. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that you can do with it. One of my favorite directors is Guillermo del Toro's work yeah. um, because his horror is beautiful. Like if you've ever seen Devil's Backbone, or his more well-known Pan's Labyrinth. Yes, of course. Um, it's just the visuals are stunning. The storytelling is heartbreaking. Guillermo, please leave the children alone. Um, yeah, he just He just has a thing for, like, children. Ugh, of, like, torturing children. I don't mean like that. I mean, like, no. you know, putting them <laughs> no. into very difficult situations. And you're like, but why? 
Why? Oh my, it's so funny looking at his like filmography. It just the color scheme of all of his posters is just screams evil. <laughs> just Google it and you'll fun. see. Yeah. And I actually did do a college horror movie. I was in one. Mm. Um, I was one of what the. Were you? I was. I guess a final girl. I basically was the main victim, but like, uh, spoiler, I survived. <gasps> and yes. I had this very famous line, or famous in our university, of what the motherfuck? What the motherfuck? <laughs> that was my line <laughs> that I just used a couple of times and people thought it was funny. That's yeah. amazing. Wait, what is this right. called? Is there is there a copy oh, of it? God. I must see um, it. <laughs> oh my God, I can't remember the name of it. I know it has something to do with dolls. Very well written. Actually, the writer of it is now a writer for dc or marvel with comic books okay um, very see talented you. well um, done so i get to have that little claim even though we've totally lost touch and everything but right um, i was wow. like, i was in one of her works oh, <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah and we actually did special effects makeup because i get tortured a bit and so that was really fun too and definitely helped with my interest later on so Aww. there's so many fun things about horror. And also, of all the sets I've worked on, horror is the most fun. Oh, I believe it. I don't think I've ever gotten to do that yet. Oh, work, work it on is a horror so movie. much fun. I've worked on oh, a couple. Jealous. It was more indie stuff, but they were so fun. And like for all the serious and screaming and all this other stuff, it's like, and cut. And you're like, and a bloody. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's something around the whole horror community that I really love how there's just an appreciation for different styles and for different ideas. There's Scrappy. just something about it. I mean, we're going to go into it a little bit because oh, basically the person I want to talk about today is not only tied to horror films, but Kelly, yes. I am so happy because I'm going back to my historical person profiles. <gasps> of course. You couldn't get away from it too long. No, it, it feels so good. It feels so wrong when you get uh, into the modern day. That's my turn. I know. <laughs> I'm just like, I love the challenge because also when they're historical, it is harder to find different resources. And we have a full list of resources because I did a lot of digging to find out about this woman. Uh, and yes. I wanted to bring her up because not only are they very well known in the horror community, but also they left a legacy behind that paved the way for numerous women in film. Fuck yeah. Right? I love her already. Who is so, this? So I have to ask you a question. Yes. Do you know what a scream queen is? <gasps> I know there was a thing with Emma Roberts, right? <laughs> is there a show? Well, that's the show. That's the show, Scream Queens. But uh, the ones in Nightmare on Elm Street and like your Halloweens, your Jamie Lee Curtises, right? Mm -hmm. That's just like so basically a Scream Queen is a term used specifically for horror movie actresses. It's not to be confused with the term Final Girls. A Scream Queen is actually a little less specific. Allison Foreman of IndieWire described it as historically a snappy description to draw talent and audiences towards projects anchored by leading ladies' panic-stricken beauty and piercing pipes. Huh, that so is a very unlike, specific term I did not know existed. <laughs> right. And again, it can be more all-encompassing because there's so many ways people have been associated as scream queens, but a final girl is more associated to the character. A final girl is typically the heroine who makes it to the end of the film. She's the final girl who like faces uh... off with the main person, scream queens are actually more associated to the actress portraying the role. And I say actress because this is a 
female presenting type role. And while there is the term scream king, there isn't as much instant recognition as the term scream queen, which yes, finally. Finally, ladies have an advantage. (laughs) My God. It often boils down to like one signature role that the actress becomes known for. But then afterwards, they become very sought after to appear in other horror films or TV shows because of it. Love that for them. I think it's also because they are portraying a specific type of character in these films. So Lloyd Kaufman of Troma Entertainment, they're an independent production company where for 50 years, yeah, they've focused on like horror, horror comedy, that kind of stuff. So he once said, a scream queen is more than just crying and having ketchup thrown on you. You not only have to be attractive, but you also have to have a big brain. You have to be frightened. You have to be sad. You have to be romantic, which I mean, super easy. And yeah, clearly, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Not at all down. showing the expectations of women in Hollywood or anything. And meanwhile, you know. men can just show up in sweatpants and burp <laughs> and call it a day. <laughs> oh my God. But that's no, why but, I think yeah. also those who pull off the role so well, they're so respected in the horror community for what they do for the genre. I'm just dying to know. You're dangling this carrot red. I know. Who because <laughs> there have been so many famous actresses who have been dubbed Scream Queens. Two of the probably most most well-known. You've mentioned one of them. So there's Janet Lee for her work in Psycho yep. and then her own real-life daughter Jamie Lee Curtis Boom. because of her work in Halloween. Ding, ding, ding. And she's an example also of a final girl because like literally she's been in yeah. like all of them and... Yep, even though they should be died. done by now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. <laughs> um, Linda Blair. She's considered one for yeah. her work on The Exorcist. That's right. Olivia Hussey for her work in the 1974 film Black Christmas, though someone maybe consider Romeo and Juliet a kind of horror movie movie if you don't Uh like Shakespeare or do lovers. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely a horror movie. Agreed. Modern times, (laughs) there's a ton of actresses from Sarah Michelle Gellar, from Buffy. I know we did last summer, The Grudge. You've got Toni Collette for her work on both Sixth Sense and Hereditary. And then even more recently, Jenna Ortega, because she's on the Scream franchise, she's an insidious. And of course, what some may consider more comedy than horror, Wednesday. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, Jenna. This is why I wanted to focus on who is widely considered the first Scream Queen in cinematic history and how her most signature role in 1933, like we're going almost 100 years back, would pave the way for countless actresses. So Kelly, oh my God. Oh my God. if you don't already know, may I introduce you to the OG scream queen herself, the timeless Faye Ray. <gasps> yeah. Do you know her? You do know her. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh my God. Good pull. Right. How did I not even think of that? Brilliant. I know. I know. Red. I'm so excited. I'm so Brilliant. excited. <laughs> Brilliant. So let's start from the very beginning for our listeners. Faye Ray was actually originally born Vina Faye Ray on September 15th, 1907 on a ranch near Cardston, Alberta, Canada. That's right. We got <laughs> a course. Canadian. <laughs> of course. Also subscribe to Red Substack if you haven't. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And don't forget Kelly's. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the funny thing. She is considered Canadian American. Oh. And that's because her mother, Elvina Marguerite Jones, won a name. She quick. was American while her father, Joseph Heber Ray, was from England. There's not a ton of information that we can find from the time period. So 
I'm not sure how a British guy and this American woman who also was the daughter of Daniel Webster Jones, who was a huge pioneer for the Mormon church in the US. No idea how the two of them got together in Canada. Yeah, that's weird. Right? But it's hard to find that information other than just of where they were right. and the fact that they would have six children together. Oh my God. Yup. No. Faye was actually number four. Oh my goodness. Where did the but other was, five end up? Sorry, go ahead. I, I, that's the thing. I wasn't able to track yeah. down. There's like all these different stories. And I was like, this is going to be a much longer podcast if I go <laughs> yeah. into each of the different siblings yeah, and try yeah. and track them down. And there's yeah. all these stories about her mom too and like that whole family. And I was like, whoa, I need to focus just on Faye. Yeah. Because otherwise we're here all night. Damn. So when Faye was three years old. That's actually when they moved to the U.S. Apparently, they went to Arizona, then they went to Utah, and finally they ended up in Hollywood, California, which we know because Faye attended Hollywood High School. There's records of that. So that's why it's like, okay, where did they go? We just know she was there around the time when she was 14. It's also interesting, too, because I don't know what the family dynamic is, because while she came from a very prominent Mormon family, she was never brought into the Mormon church. Huh. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, did, was there some falling out? Was there like a loss of faith? I, I don't know. Hmm. Some reports say that unfortunately, Faye endured a grim and grinding poverty and that her father left town for work and never came back. Oh, jeez. Yeah. This is why her career actually began when she was only 15 or 16. The reports kind of differ. Wow. Um, basically, she was first signed to Hal Roach Studios and then to Universal. So keep in mind, this is like the early 1900s. So this is the era of silent films when they use, I think they call it like the stable system. It's almost kind of timely because of everything going on with the strikes and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, studios would sign actors to contracts around four to seven years and basically own them. Like they would have them do as many films as possible. Performers were not allowed to work with any other studio or they could get blacklisted. Often studios controlled their looks, their appearances, what films they appeared in, and so many other things. If another studio really wanted one of these actors for their film, the actor's original studio could loan them out for these projects. And again, right. Well, that's the other thing, because it was often without the actor's consent. But if they turned it down, they faced very serious consequences. Disgusting. But on the other hand, If you got one of these contracts, you were given huge opportunities and a chance for a lot of money. So for Faye, this was almost like a no brainer to go into this. I mean, she not only did she enjoy acting, but it was something that she could do to help her family. She started off in silent comedy shorts, but her big break would come in 1926 when she was only 19. Eric von Stroheim, I may have mispronounced his (laughs) name, but he was big director, producer, He chose her for the female lead in The Wedding March. Actually, she loved this movie. Like, in more recent years, looking back, she said that that film was her personal favorite and where she got to most fully express herself. Because I think she had a good relationship with Stroheim. He kind of allowed her to be more of what we hope more modern actors and actresses have the opportunity to do, which is to have choices and to make character decisions and be more collaborative in order to make the best work and not like the studios being like, this is how you act. This is how you look. This is what you do. This is how you breathe. Um, (laughs) 
that's so odd that, i mean i just wouldn't have expected that like her first big thing out of the gate mm-hmm. was a positive experience you would think based on what you were talking about earlier it would have been right. you know, very well, miserable and think- regimented and controlling and a lot of people hear. there was a rumor that they had this not romance but they had this something uh, similar but i believe he was married and mm-hmm. never anything was acted on but they just both were very drawn to each other Mm, and so there, there was go. a lot of interest in what each other were doing. I mean, granted, that was just something I read that might not right. be true. And there was no affair or anything that was ever mentioned. But there was this huge respect between the two of them. That same year where she would go and do this film, the Western Association of Modern Picture Advertisers, mouthful. I mean, God. It's quite a mouthful. <laughs> right. They ran a promotional campaign called the, because that's such a mouthful, the Wampas baby stars basically this was where they selected several actresses who they believed were on the threshold of like movie stardom most of their predictions didn't actually live up to the title but there were a few like clara bow ginger rogers and joan crawford they were also on this list and faye was selected to be one of these women and it was a huge deal damn Mm -hmm. good company shit right (laughs) so then paramount began distributing the film And therefore, because again, we're treating people like property, they inherited Faye's contract and they immediately began to put her to work, having her create more than a dozen films, often paired alongside Gary Cooper. And it was actually, so at this point, this is 1926. She's 19. Jesus. Okay. So again, she's young too. And like, you know, you have all these people who are kind of controlling all these different things and her contracts being passed around between studios. I will say it's kind of in part to Paramount Studios that she would actually meet and fall in love with John Monk Saunders, uh, who was a very famous writer. And they actually would do some films together. And they got married in 1928. So she's like 21. Hi, young bride. I mean, I see you. Keep in mind, 1900s, she was probably considered a spinster at 21. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Actually, good point. I think, Mom, if you're listening, you got married at 21. So, Look <laughs> at mom. that. Yeah, so like, she was a that... spinster back then. Right? But <laughs> yeah. here's the other thing. Apparently, between 1928 and 1934, six years, Faye would appear in a whopping 46 movies. Oh, my God. That's Faye how much sleep. they're putting them. Right. Jesus. And this was also the time period where they started making the transition from silent films to talkies. You know, them (laughs) old things. (laughs) It'll never work. (laughs) Oh my God. But this was huge for her career for a very specific reason. Now we'll get to that. But basically there's, Conflicting reports whether she was able to leave or she just didn't have her contract picked back up by Paramount. She was kind of like a freelancer where she was working between various studios. And in 1933 alone, she made 11 films. Oh, my God. She earned the nickname the hardest working actress in Hollywood that year. Rightfully (laughs) so. I wonder why. Jesus. If you've ever worked on a set, people think it's all glamorous. It is so not. Um. (laughs) No, absolutely not. 1% is. 99% is not. Yeah. And that's like... 11 for one year i feel like four right now is like the max i see people doing you know and that's you know years previous that they were made like to do 11 in a year that's crazy it was also during this time that faye began appearing in several horror films 
because this is considered like the early 30s horror boom. Um, There were a bunch of different pictures that came out around this time, but some of the ones that she was in included Dr. X in 1932, The Vampire Bat in 1933. (laughs) It was like a knockoff Dracula movie. Mystery of the Wax Museum in 1933 as well, but her first film with RKO Radio Pictures, which if you've seen the sign of like the radio yep, tower on the I've globe, seen it. Yep. oh my God, it's such a like Iconic. classic. Yep. Yeah. So it was the most dangerous game. And this was oh. huge because while she was cast on that and pre-production was happening, another film came into pre-production as well. And when it was passed by MGM Studio, because originally Jean Harlow was going to play the lead actress but they locked down her contract so she wasn't able to be released the director marion c cooper would approach our girl faye and ask her to be the blonde star of a little known picture promising her that she would star alongside the quote tallest darkest leading man in hollywood (laughs) that's an understatement And that's because Faye would become the star of the classic cinematic film of 1933, King Kong. If you don't know the story of King Kong, basically it's about this film crew that goes out to Skull Island, this remote area with this tribe that seems to worship this giant bean and then they discover it's a giant gorilla who they call King Kong. So they capture him, bring him back to New York. He's like in love with Anne Darrow, who is Faye's character. Basically, he escapes and he steals her and they go to the top of the Empire State Building. Planes are around and it's all this craziness. And to spoil this movie from almost a century ago. I was going to say, where have you been? Yeah. Um, (laughs) He gently places her on the building before he is finally shot down by the plane. But it was not the planes that killed him. It was beauty that killed the beast. (laughs) The broken heart. What's also interesting is because uh, obviously I was doing background on Faye. I found so many interesting tidbits from the production of the movie. They apparently used the same sets for the most dangerous game that she was also in as they did in King Kong. So they literally were filming like oh, one funny. during the day and then the other <laughs> at night at the same time. Oh my God. That's um, called crossboarding if I ever heard it. Right? Oh my God. I mean, Jesus. that's saving some budget right there. Yeah, it is. While King Kong himself would only be a small creature that they would do stop motion for. And fun fact, the roar he makes is the sound of a lion's roar and a tiger's roar combined, slow down and run backwards. Whoa. According to IMDb. Oh my God. But while he was just like, again, this smaller stop motion for the scenes with Faye, where he would grab Anne Darrow, it was actually an eight foot articulated hand that would grasp the five foot three actress. (laughs) And during the scene, you could see what looks like her struggling to escape when really in multiple instances, one of the fingers would loosen. So she's actually trying to stay in the hand and not fall out. I want to see footage of that. Oh, right. Well, if you watch God. it back, her like kind of pulling at it and stuff. That's her trying to stay in. Stay in. <laughs> uh-huh. But it looks like she's trying to like figure out a way to get out. That's so um, funny. And there were so many key moments in that film. But I think very few could argue that from her background in silent film, her wide-eyed expressions and the screams of terror. I don't know anyone who would say like that's forgettable. Not at no. all. 
It was so key for that time. (laughs) And especially think about, again, we're new to sound. Those screams must have been terrifying for audience members who like are very used to silent films. And then you're getting her screams. She must have been one of the first, right? To be like- She's definitely one of the earliest and has such a signature scream. And you know what's funny? She actually didn't like her performance at first. What? At the premiere, she was quoted as saying, I wasn't too impressed. (laughs) I thought- There was too much screaming. There's too much screaming. You don't say. Right. Well, for her, because it's like, it's not natural and stuff like that. But this movie would go on to follow her the rest of her life as her biggest performance. As she said later, I didn't realize then that King Kong and I were going to be together for the rest of our lives and longer. Now let's talk about how big this film was. I mean, the movie itself in its opening weekend made $90,000, which don't worry, I calculated. I was going to say. That's over $2 million in modern times. But think about it being 1933. That's really good. That's insane. That's like Barbie level for back then, right? For back then, it's definitely that level. I mean, it's huge. And it's actually listed as being one of the biggest openings ever at that time. Whoa. It actually saved RKO from bankruptcy. Oh, no way. Uh The studio was actually about to basically go under. And it was thanks to King Kong that it kept it in business for another, I think, 30 plus years. Uh, Eventually, it would fold, as we know. I hope she got a raise. No, that's not how this works. (laughs) No, of course not. But I like to think that people did the right thing. The movie itself is also considered a pioneering technical masterpiece because, again, the stop motion I mentioned, other special effects, and it was the first to ever have a special music score that accompanied it. Oh, right? I did not know this. Mm-hmm. This is according to my research. So yeah, no, I blame, sure right. I blame my be. sources if this is in not the 30s. Right. <laughs> it has to be. Yeah. But it is largely phase screams in the new age of films with sound that continued to be the thing audience spoke out about the most. In fact, she remembered getting off a boat in England, a man meeting her and saying, will you please come up to the BBC studios and scream for us? <laughs> Did she? Like, this was her life. <laughs> oh, no. She's going to lose her voice. She's so sick of right? it. That's her curse now. Her life after King Kong actually would be pretty complicated. Oh, John, no. her husband, struggled with alcoholism and alleged drug addiction. While she never resented him, even afterwards, he basically destroyed the marriage and mm. left her all but broke by the time they called it quits in 1939. And one year later, he would actually take his own life. Jesus. Yeah. So he had a lot of issues at hand. But Faye would actually find love again in 1942 with writer and producer Robert Riskin. Yay. Before meeting her, apparently he was frequently seen around town with some of Hollywood's hottest stars. Uh, see Leo you DiCaprio? Know, pretty much. <laughs> apparently he would settle down once allegedly Faye proposed to him. In the 1940s, Faye, you queen! What? <laughs> My hero! That's yeah. insane! Did he, was he embarrassed? Like, what did he no, think of No, of anything, he was very proud of her. He felt, so according to his daughter, he was a very quiet person and he just wanted someone who he could talk to and that understood him. And I think a lot of Faye's performances have to do with her ability to have empathy. The reason she's able to portray like sadness so well and these like 
big expressions is because she has this natural ability to empathetically listen and react and things like that. And that really resonated with him. This is according to his daughter and they would actually have three children together. And as much as we're like progressive, she actually would retire from acting to raise the children. Whoa. However, turns out Hollywood wasn't done because... Unfortunately, in 1950, at only 53 years old, Robert would have a heart attack that left him partially paralyzed, and this made him unable to work. And so Faye was determined to provide for her husband and her children, so she went back to Hollywood. Get it, girl. Well, apparently, she was welcomed back with open arms. Her daughter said people welcomed her back like she was a long-lost relative, finally come home. Like people were very supportive of her. She was put to work immediately and she was proud to do it. That makes me happy because, you know, after a certain age, you you know, mm-hmm. women get washed up. But I'm glad that I don't know how old she is here, but she's she, like 43. Yeah. And she's welcome back. Thank God. That's refreshing. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and again, her daughter said that she didn't wallow in the situation. Because, I mean, she kind of talked about how, like, her family history, like, they kind of forge ahead, like, with the pioneering of the Mormonism and stuff. But she was forging ahead for her family. And that's not easy to do at this time. Sadly, Robert actually passed away at just 58 in 1955. So five years later, a lot of people say, like, he was the love of her life. It seems like all of her romances were very significant. Like, she loved each person fully, like her first husband and her second husband. It didn't stop. Faye, though. So she was taking regular guest star roles on shows like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Perry Mason, but nothing really gave her the same notoriety as she did from King Kong. Mm. But she had steady work for basically the rest of her life. Good. Her last credited role was in the 1980 TV movie Gideon's Trumpet, but her legacy doesn't end there. Mm -hmm. She would go on to release her autobiography, On the Other Hand, get it? (laughs) A reference to King Kong, of course. Brilliant. (laughs) She released that in 1989. She also would marry again 16 years after Robert's passing to Dr. Sanford Rothenberg. Rothenberg, however you say that, I apologize, doctor. I apologize. (laughs) And they had a very happy marriage until he also passed away in 1991 of natural causes. While she had a complicated relationship to being so closely associated to King Kong, she would eventually say, I have come to believe over the years that Kong is my friend. And pointed out her daughter, after first viewing the film, said, Kong wasn't trying to hurt you. He was just trying to protect you. I'm like, hello? Because it's true if you think about it. And like, what a sweet thing for a little girl to notice. Like, the monster is not actually really the monster here. It's just a creature that, you know. Loves her. Right. And is taken out of his natural habitat. So what he's thinking to do is, I have to protect her in this big, scary city. That's so So smart. It's a a way to reframe that, I guess. Because he's an animal. It's not to say, like, an animal in captivity is evil. It's just an animal in captivity. (laughs) Reacting as... Probably anyone would. She would go on to be honored in 1998 by Billy Crystal at the 70th Academy Awards after Ugh. a brief interaction where he introduced her as the beauty who charmed the beast. Oh. She also was the original actress in mind to play the older Rose in the 1997 film Titanic. <gasps> she was supposed to be old rose the one who's like it's been 84 years oh oh my god with the necklace yeah 84 (laughs) years wow what i say whenever i'm trying to figure things out and i'm like it's been 84 (laughs) years the research doing this episode was 84 (laughs) years 
It's true, listeners. You should have seen her last night. Oh my god. (laughs) I was like, wow, you really are going down the rabbit hole. I was doing the last minute, like, touch-ups and research, and I don't drink coffee, and yet I had a pumpkin spice latte (laughs) with some Irish in it, and um, yeah. How appropriate. Uh, Everybody have one while you're listening to this. Yes, it's that time of year. Yeah, it is. You're you're basically pitching it up. It was my first PSL. I've never (gasps) had one before. See, I wait till October 1st, because obviously as we record this it isn't yet but now that we're, this is out absolutely you better believe i would have chugging them she isn't in an iv just going yeah um. <laughs> i'm going over to it right now so she also would visit her hometown in 2003 on the 60th anniversary of the film to see the fountain that was erected showing the silhouette of Faye and her famous co-star so in her hometown they did this And she said every time she was in New York and passed the Empire State Building, she said, I say a little prayer when passing it. A good friend of mine died up there. Oh, that's so sweet. So... Prior to making the 2005 remake, Peter Jackson and Naomi Watts met with Faye. She basically very cheekily said to Naomi Watts, you're not Anne Darrow. I'm Anne Darrow. <laughs> yes, queen. Literally. And originally she was going to speak the last lines of the film in a cameo, the famous It Was Beauty That Killed the Beast. Yep. But sadly, Faye would pass away of natural causes in 2004 at the age of 96. Oh, good run, Faye. Right? Before nice. the f- movie would finish filming, having lived a long and healthy and incredible life that so many people credit for having paved the way for horror films and scream queens alike. Oh, As Faye. Peter Jackson would note in his 2005 remake by dedicating it to the incomparable Faye Ray. Love that for you, Faye. Right. Want to hear something hilarious, though? Yes. So because she wasn't able to do the last line, guess who did the last line? Who? Motherfucking Jack Black. (laughs) It always goes to Jack Black. It always always returns to Jack Jack. Black. Not Kevin Bacon. It's Jack Black. I mean, how many episodes has he been in now? Or by now, it's gotta be. Like, it's there's gotta always be a-, a tie back to him. Even Mr. if we don't Black, say this it. is an open invitation that if just, we're going to keep mentioning you, can you please already? just come My on the God. podcast? Because this Where is getting ridiculous. This is getting crazy. We, we, we've we highlighted your mom. Let's go. Get on now here. Now you're stealing Faye's moment. Come okay. on, Jack. <laughs> what the motherfucker? What the motherfucker? <laughs> Full circle. But yeah, so I mean, oh, I was I so excited that. when I realized, oh my God. So like smart. Because I never realized who would be the first scream queen. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think anybody would think of that, but it's so, it's right in front of you now that you say it. Of course, it's fake. Right. She's yeah. literally the scream queen. Like her literally. scream was so signature oh, for that film. Oh, and I mean, God. just thinking of the imagery and things like that, like her expressions, I mean, especially coming from the silent film era, it's clear why she was so successful in that because she's also a stunning Stunner. person like if you've seen i mean her up, our guys. listeners will see us on the social her, yeah we'll post a picture of Google her Google her still oh she's and beautiful what a life and like i know a lot of times people are always like oh one hit wonder it's like no she still worked consistently and just oh, to yeah. have the one role to be like part of cinematic history because that film did so many things for horror films as well not only for actresses but also for the cinematography style stop motion so many other things it really was a huge film and i mean i do believe it's made multiple lists over the years of like top 100 horror films just also top 
films of all time just because of what it did during that time, which was so forward thinking. Watch the movie in her honor tonight. I also want to point out, it sounds as though she actually had the choice in this one because the director approached her. Oh, so she may never have if she hadn't. I'm glad she saw that this was something. <laughs> I think she was looking for opportunities and what a fun thing. And it's also like, well, I'm on the set anyways. Um, <laughs> as well, exactly. I think it was probably just an opportunity. And as an actress, you want to take as many opportunities as possible. And you don't know what's going to be your big breakout role. Never. Probably seem like, okay, this is my ninth film of the year. Right. You know, and you're giving it your all for all of them. You just don't know what's going to hit. Yeah. With different audiences and what's going to make that huge difference. And because again, she's not, although she's the performer, she doesn't know about the other special effects going in other than this giant hand that's grabbing her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to watch for that now yeah. when I watch it back tonight. Oh, watch it back and you're going to see that. That's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely want to watch it again. Just Everybody for... watch it with your spiked PSL in hand. Yes, spike <laughs> it however you wish or don't. You don't have to. All right, but. But it makes it just better. get in the spooky spirit, everybody. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait yeah. to hear. Also, please, if you guys have other horror film like people or you have any films themselves that you want to recommend to us, we'd love to hear from you and just hear who else you think would be someone to highlight from that genre. Someone who we've definitely had a list of like different people over the years. Yeah. And please do. We would love to hear from you and just who you think would be fun to highlight, preferably historical for me, but you know, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> modern for me. Send your moderns to me. Send yeah, your historical yeah. send up, we'll send us whoever. I know. Again, I know. we love. I mean, I would love to do a story on Jamie Lee Curtis because I mean, I mean, that queen. say I haven't already. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I hope everybody is having fun during this spooky season. And I mean, hopefully you guys are getting cozy and watching some scary films. So also, if you just have any films that you're currently watching, or if you're Mikey and just want to hit me up. um, (laughs) (laughs) Mikey, hit her up. Let us know. And yeah, um, otherwise, have a spectacular time until we talk to you guys next week. Thank you for joining us on I Love That For You. Our theme song is by Vaudeville and used with permission. Our cover art is by Jenny Lamb, edited to the best of our abilities by Kelly and Red. If you want us to spotlight someone, have questions, or just want to say hi, email us at ilovethatforyoupod at gmail.com or join us on Instagram at ilovethatforyoupod to join the love fest and see what else we get up to. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever else you listen. We appreciate all your love, and if you want to help support the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. This helps us spread the love and reach more people. Thanks for listening. We love you.